This episode is about the fidgetal journey. Weird word, I know, but let me explain. The traditional way of working in this industry typically revolves around a physical sales rep who meets a prospect and then catapults them onto a marketing list. We believe the future will be fidgetal, meaning coordinated physical and digital journeys that alternate through the sales process. Get the word now? What I find really interesting are the conversations happening about the customer experience because we all know it's changed. That's why I think along with information, this is the currency, that this is an opportunity and I'm optimistic that there will be access to information that before was kind of veiled. Recognize these voices? You've heard them both at the very end of each of our last two episodes. Meet our sponsors. I'm Amanda Darley, and I'm the Director of Marketing for Mannington Commercial. Hi, my name is Megan Sherwin, and I'm the CMO at Keelhauer. I've played a personal hand in selecting the sponsors for this season because they represent big thinking happening on the manufacturer side of our industry. And I promise, their stories will be inspirational to you, no matter what area of the design ecosystem you work in. I think Amanda explains it best when she talks about why Mannington Commercial is pushing themselves to think bigger, think differently, and yes, think digital about their own marketing and customer experience. At Mannington, we've been working to put the customer first and get all that information out there. And then what we've seen is the connections that we're getting are so much deeper because when people do come to us, they trust that we're gonna tell them the good, bad, and the ugly about a situation and then they can trust us. And that's one of the things that I've found fascinating over the past year. I think we often think of digital tools as something that depersonalizes. And to be fair, used incorrectly, that can most certainly be true. However, the past year has proven that technology can actually build trust and connection. We've seen into each other's homes, met pets, spouses, and maybe even experienced a hysterical kid interruption or two. So we will make the case that used properly, technology can actually be a more efficient way, in some cases, to build connections. In this episode, we'll leave you with tangible examples and ideas. So, without further ado, welcome to Season 2 of Design Nerds Anonymous, the podcast that sparks curiosity at the intersection of business and design. I'm your host, Amanda Schneider, founder and president at ThinkLab, the research division of Sandow Design Group and sister company to media brands you know and love, like Interior Design, Metropolis, Lux, and more. At ThinkLab, our passion is sharing inspiration for your business, fuel for your design process, and connection with people and ideas for positive disruption. So, thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. Now, this episode will feel a bit different from other episodes this season. We'll still have three chapters, but rather than hearing from different interviewees, you'll hear from Amanda and Megan on three different topics. Chapter one will cover inspiration from other industries that these forward-thinking companies are bringing to the contract interiors industry. In chapter two, we'll dive into tips to make digital experiences successful. And chapter three will leave you with tangible ideas for leveraging technology to build relationships. So let's dive into chapter one, inspiration from other industries. What I love about both of our guests on this episode is that they're bringing incredible outside of the industry experiences in. 
Let's hear from Megan first about her entree into the interiors industry. Oh, so much shocked me. Okay, so my background is in brand marketing and strategy. So as a brand marketer, I spent a lot of my career, and I'm old, so plus 20 years, focused on really the intersection between the customer and the brand and the company. For a long time, you think of advertising and you think of marketing and you think of commercials and print ads and websites, but actually what I was focused on was the strategic business questions. So, you know, working with MasterCard on what business are we in? Are we in the finance business? Are we in the technology business? Are we in a solution business? Like those kind of big, deep questions. And then what I tried to accomplish as a brand was what is meaningful for the customer what experiences are going to help drive our business forward, and what are we trying to really, truly accomplish? You know, Amanda, I always start at ground zero, so I've never assumed anything. I love enjoying questioning essentially the basic tenets that brands and customers stand on. So I assume with technology and the smarts of the teams available that we can really, really do anything. That's not the hard part. The hard part is deciding what the right thing to do is. So as a brand marketer, I spend a lot of time on what the right thing to do is for the business and the brand. And to answer your question about what shocked me coming in or what was surprising, I think for me, the largest was the data and the insights and the, and the strategy side of it. So coming from MasterCard, coming from uh, P&G in Boston, we had data everywhere. Like I could tell you how many Kit Kats people bought on a day-to-day basis, what the average cart size was for people that bought <laughs> ProGlide razors versus a Gillette like three blade. We had such an incredible level of data and coming into this industry, it was really hard to uncover that and, and start to understand, you know, what do designers need? What do they want? And, you know, what does their cart look like and what are they hoping to achieve? It was, it's, it's a challenge. And you'll hear the same comments around lack of data from Amanda. And as a research firm, I'd be remiss not to mention to our listeners. The average designer has 26 times the specification power as the average consumer has purchasing power. And that number jumps to 111 times when you get to the interior design giants of design. If you're not familiar with that research, it's like the Fortune 500 of interior design firms. And we hope that statistic inspires you, whether you're listening to understand how to harness the power of that specifier, or whether that stat empowers you as someone who selects and recommends products to your own clients. But I want you to note some of the tools that she mentions that we heard about on the last episode's interviewee, HubSpot. This software can help you track and gather data on your own customers to learn what they want to interact with digitally. My first job actually led me to this agency, It was such an amazing right place, right time situation. I was hired by Apple as one of seven sales reps around the country in a pilot program. And it was a bridge while Apple was opening retail stores. So it was a one-year program. And my first customer was actually a manufacturer in this industry, who I eventually came to work for after that program wrapped. So that's how I discovered the design industry, such amazing happenstance. And I fell in love with it and all the amazing people that surround it. That experience 
served as a foundation for how I've approached every job since. It helped me understand the relationship between business needs and how digital can empower sales reps to provide better solutions for our customers. So I learned as much as I could about marketing to our industry from some great mentors and leaders. And then after a season, I left to explore other industries and realized they were leveraging data in a different way than we were in the commercial world. The amount of data available was suddenly mind-boggling, and it was a new journey learning all about the power of personas and personalization. I was able to bring that experience to Mannington Commercial when I came back into our industry. My challenge at Mannington was learning more digital marketing since I've always been a digital-first marketer. So everyone has been very patient as I've learned the ropes around showrooms, events, print collateral. We have so much print in our industry while also building our digital foundation at Mannington. We found a balance in our department between traditional marketing and digital, especially during the last year. Everyone on the marketing team is on the digital team, along with other areas of emphasis. All are on HubSpot and all of our digital tools on a daily basis, which has allowed us to leverage data from our tools to create highly effective marketing. With the pause that we had last year where a lot of events and kind of the traditional things that always have happened in our industry got put on hold, it allowed us to really dive in to kind of prove out that the digital works. So for example, we launched a blog a year ago and we just have posted like our 104th blog And we go really deep into all of the things about our category that make it really unique. And what's been really exciting is to see how much engagement we're getting from those. So we're using that to hook into HubSpot. So we're using that as a CRM. So our reps are able to see who's interacting with our blogs, who's checking on the calls to action. So it's like basic things that everybody knows when you're trying to go account-based marketing where you have kind of top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel, but it's not how we ever thought or approached our marketing. So at Mannington, we've been working to put the customer first and get all that information out there. And then what we've seen is the connections that we're getting are so much deeper because when people do come to us, they trust that we're going to tell them the good, bad, and the ugly about a situation, and then they can trust us. I love that you're working on digital content because I do feel like there's a gap in the marketplace in the industry and people are so hungry for meaningful content. So I love that you're doing the blogs in terms of what you're seeing. Are you actually doing strategy against like different parts of the sales funnel in your blogs or are how are you approaching that strategy? So we do have a content map where all of the content is around is where do we feel that this is? Is this someone that's just starting to research? You know, our number one blog that people come to is what kind of flooring do I need for a basketball court? I would never, ever have created any collateral around that ever. And we have people that have spent thousands of hours reading that one blog post, you know, so we do, but we do, and we make sure that we're mapping it over so that our reps are either following up with a CEU or a very specific, we have different offers, and then we kind of route it based on where people are at in the in the cycle. But it's testing. It's all, this has not existed before. You know, so when we were working on our KPIs and saying, hey, we feel like this, is, this works for other industries. We know it's going to work for Mannington and we need to do this. We're just guessing. But the fun thing is we have so much data because it's digital. So we're able to test and say, okay, this gets a much better response. We um, are getting better leads from this versus something like this. And yeah, we have... 
been a, it's been an all team effort. Everybody on the team has switched to producing content. I love that because we're seeing the same thing at Keelhauer where, you know, outside in the real world, outside of our industry, you know, video content is something that has incredibly high consumption rates. It's something like 80% of consumers prefer video over other forms of digital content. And we just aren't seeing that much in our industry. So Keelhauer about two years or three years ago when I started, it was one, like, that's an easy one. Like the stats there, right? (laughs) So let's just create some and see what happens. And the response has been ridiculously positive to the point where design firms call us and ask for the videos to put on their reels within their own HQs. So I agree with you, you know, test and learn, try it a few times, and then it's just positive momentum moving forward, right? Let's do little tweaks, let's optimize and just keep rolling forward because to your point, Amanda, the data's there. And if we can just keep you know, trying new things, we're really going to optimize our marketing dollars and deliver what the customer wants. I love that you're doing the videos. We have started one-to-one videos. So we do have, there. the videos that we have in our industry are more around the romance of a product, something that it's almost like a commercial for product collections. But we're doing these one-to-one videos where if, especially last year when you weren't able to get in front of designers as much, our, our reps were able to use Vidyard and just kind of do a little tag about, hey, this is something that came out. We would love to share it with you. And then they were able to put it up against some of the other videos we had created to make it personalized. And that was really great, especially we have some stories where people have been trying to get in and connect and break through the noise because there were so many emails and webinars and things happening last year. And when they did that personalized video, they were able to get meetings at such a higher rate. I love the personalized aspect of it. I think, you know, yes, direct mail and print, you can get to a personalized message as well. But digital is such a faster economical solution to try different forms of personalization, right? Like you can get from, hi, Amanda, I saw you were on the website to, you know what, Amanda looked at three different basketball pieces of content so the actual content can be personalized right like you can get into such a different level of personalization with digital I think it's really really exciting and I think you know the industry should be moving that way I don't know if we all are but definitely something we should all have our eye on heard about why leverage research and a few creative ways to start to gather data with blogs and tools like HubSpot And while sometimes data only confirms what we already believe to be true, at ThinkLab we like to say we (laughs) remove assumptions and replace them with facts. In other ways, like Amanda's basketball flooring blog post example, the data surprises us. And that can provide both inspiration and a way to avoid mistakes. We heard Megan talk about moving away from product videos alone to new tools like Vidyard, leveraged to personalize and connect. We know that pain drives change, and unfortunately, over the last year, we have had plenty of both. But on the silver lining side, we believe today, our clients are more open to change and new ideas than ever. So now is the perfect time to start experimenting with some of these tools. So with that, let's dive into chapter two, tips to make the digital experience successful. 
the beautiful thing about this hackathon was that it happened when we were all still totally locked down and we were really forced to maybe adopt some of these things that have been on the fringes. And we're not the only industry to do that. Here are some stats. Consumer adoption of telehealth went from 11% of U.S. consumers using telehealth in 2019 to 46% of consumers in 2020. Some say that industry progressed about 10 years in a period of just two months. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on a recent quarterly earnings call stated, we've seen two years worth of digital transformation in just two months. And I would echo some of these rapid adoption and rapid change stats and suggest that our beloved industry has seen five years of progress in just the past year. We've seen a lot of adoption happen, but I guess I want to make the case that this digital world is here to stay. I do believe that there's many in our industry that kind of think we're going to go back to normal. Oh my gosh. If this was a fidgetal podcast series, I think we would have enough content. <laughs> I know this is only one episode, but just to talk to you about fidgetal and my two cents on it, you know, I think it's changed and evolved a lot. You said in the last five months or six months or even year, it's, it's moved forward or evolved essentially five years. But I would argue that, you know, every kind of five, 10 years in marketing, things evolve, right? So back in the 2000s, we had multi-channel strategy, right? That's where marketers were saying, you know, we need to be everywhere our customer is. So, you know, you, you had a print ad and you had a radio spot and you had a TV spot. And then in the 2010s, the marketing strategy became omni-channel. Right. So that meant, you know, we needed an ecosystem where, you know, a customer could come in to any point in our journey and explore and everything would make sense for them. And then in 2019, we started seeing this language of digital. And I found a quote from Gartner Marketing, which is like a huge global consulting firm. And they said, and I want to know if you guys agree that digital is the connection between online platforms and physical store experiences. But that was 2019, and I think it's wrong. I think we've, to your point, Amanda, I think we've evolved digital from just a retail and digital world to actually just a physical and digital. So for me, I think, you know, it's about a holistic, seamless experience that's curated specifically for them, right? Like to tag into what you were saying earlier, Amanda, about, you know, personalization. I think digital is really offline plus, plus online converged in a way that's a personalized experience for the customer. And for me, that didn't exist five, 10 years ago. That's based on the technologies we have today. It's, you know, people have their smartphones. They are able to connect in the digital world in a way, you know, they haven't always been able to. So yeah, I think it's completely evolved and expedited with the pandemic. I feel like this is an opportunity that we have where we really can embrace digital because we all get the in-person and the importance of the physical but then if we can then just focus on digital as well. It's not to say the technology is not there. It's just there's a, a little bit of a lag. That said, I do agree with the sales reps. And, you know, these virtual events are really, really hard 
I think the biggest problem, and this isn't a furniture industry problem, it's like a world problem, is people are just trying to replicate the galas and events they had and put a camera in the corner and be like, now it's digital and we're all going to log in and it's going to be great and we'll network and we'll go into little chat hubs. And it's like, that is a terrible idea. Now I want to pause Megan here for a moment because I think she's right on. First off, as she mentioned, the virtual events are really hard to do, and many are still taking exactly what would have been done in person and moving it directly virtual. But as we look at this fully virtual world that we've been in, virtual events and even meetings require three things to make them successful. And these are three things we should consider even as we get more hybrid and look at the digital experience. Number one, creative use of technology and I'll argue some of which is still evolving and clunky. Number two, cultural evolution. We can all agree some of these events are still awkward. Think about the chat function. If you were at a live conference, no one would stand up and shout a comment to the whole room. But that's essentially what we're doing in the chat. To combat this, we sometimes have to boldly state new cultural norms, symbols, and rituals to help people understand new behaviors and feel comfortable testing them out themselves. Number three, reframing of benefits. Old benefits coming to events were content, social connections, and maybe a few adult beverages. At least two out of three are gone in the virtual world. So how do we make it worthwhile? Let's hear an idea from outside the industry that may inspire us all from Megan. I don't know if any of you guys saw the Gucci 12-hour live stream event. It is ridiculously good. So One of the industries that I always watch for trends is fashion and the luxury houses. I used to work on UK fashion houses and the luxury brands, and they do a very, very good job on driving innovation and creativity and design. And so Gucci did a show and what they did is they did a live stream event. So it was a regular fashion show. And then they layered in all these digital components. So they had like a DOS recording over it. They had cut-ins of like backstage moments. They had people from all over the world streaming in and commenting. It was this totally complex video live stream event that you would never have gotten any other way, but through this blending of real world and digital. And I think that's what wins because I think if we just put a camera in the corner and (laughs) try to do an event, no one's going to log in. I think we have to add the value of digital and that transformation there. So we've covered ideas for the fully virtual world, but let's explore this blend of the virtual and physical world for a digital experience. First, we'll hear from Megan with some ideas on leveraging the physical world or showrooms to connect to a virtual experience. At Kielhauer have started, of course, doing like Instagrammable moments at our showrooms. Like it's part of our brief to the design team, which essentially is just a fun little moment. To your point, it's a talisman. It's something that, you know, you quickly take on your phone and memorializes the fact that you were there. That's the easy stuff, you know? What I find interesting are things like QR codes. 
And it's funny, Q in 2014, QR codes were dead. Everyone hated them. You know, you had to download an app and it didn't work and like it was terrible. And then Snapchat bought it in 2014 and it became part of our integrated camera system. And QR codes are back. <laughs> and they're actually really productive and helpful. Essentially, they're just a digital bridge to content, but will they be helpful for designers to gain information from the showroom and maybe take it with them? So we're looking at QR codes and how to, you know, complement the retail environment or the showroom environment. I don't know if you guys have looked at Amazon and some of the grocers out of the UK and they're doing scan and shops. So you can go into a grocery store and you scan the barcode and then you can essentially just take the product or you can send it off to your house and you don't even have to pick it up. I love this notion of maybe scan and sample for reps, for example, or for designers. So they go into our environment or showrooms and maybe they scan something and it goes into you know, their email and it's like, Hey, I really liked I'm making this up. I really like this Keelhauer chair and I just want to remember it when I get back to the office. I think that type of technology is really, really interesting because I'm helping designers curate what they take from the offline environment. It's taking it into the online. And at the end of the day, as a brand, I actually get a lead right? Because there has to be an exchange of value there in terms of, I'll give, <laughs> I'll give you this information, but I would like your email or I would like some information back. So I think it can be a mutually beneficial experience. The other experience that I think is really important in retail is just digital displays and storytelling. And it's more, I would say it's less digital and more just omni-channel and retail best-in-class practices. But when I was on the Samsung business, we were working out of Korea and the UK with IKEA. And what we were trying to do is IKEA was, this is about 10 years ago, IKEA was trying to transition from a large footprint to small urban footprints. And they're like, how do we do this given like all of our furniture and all of our products? Like how, how do we make this a small footprint? So Samsung developed these like large touchscreen televisions that were like the size of a fridge essentially. And it became a way to expand the catalog in the retail environment without taking up footprint. And then you could, you know, you could open products and drawers and you could get the information and then you could actually purchase it through these screens. So I do feel like you know, we're seeing the trend of small footprint showrooms. We're seeing the need for expanded storytelling. So something like a digital display and that technology that Samsung and Ikea worked on, I think is also something that could be really, really valuable to us as we design showrooms moving forward. Now, let's hear from Amanda with some ideas that flip Megan's story. Leveraging the virtual world or websites to connect to a physical experience, i.e. how flooring might look in a space. We definitely have visualization. It's so important where you can take a picture of a room and switch out product. And then also there's so many different patterns. We have a very extensive LVT collection, Amtico, with all this kind of personalization that you can do to it. And so to be able to see it in your own space very easily, we've been getting a lot of use out of that. We also just rolled out project boards on our website where you could incorporate room scenes and 
all the different visualization tools that we have in a board and you can share it and work on it at the same time with your customers. So that's been really helpful because lots of our reps will go ahead and kind of pull together palettes and you can add notes about it. Like we're thinking this would be perfect for this, this location in your space and share it back and forth. And that's been really, everybody's been excited to have that because it's extending that personal. They're not sitting beside you with an architect folder open. They're having the conversation online. So clearly there's more inspiration to come. But as we close out this episode, let's move on to our final chapter where we'll explore tangible ideas around leveraging technology to build relationships. Chapter three. Now in our final chapter, I wanna go back to where we started. We said in the beginning, we often think of digital tools as something that depersonalized and used incorrectly, that can be true. However, we argue that the past year has proven that technology can build trust and connection. I'm constantly having conversations about how to deepen the relationship we have with our customers and the design community. And I find a lot of people's go-to solutions are real-world events, one-on-one networking, but the ability to connect is just so much broader than that. How we build and deepen those relationships can include digital. It doesn't really just have to be in the real world anymore. Um, I think we often forget that the tools available to us via technology can truly strengthen as well as expand our relationships, our conversations, even our storytelling. And while I don't think technology is a solution in itself, we do have to understand our customer experience, the employee experience, and the strategy behind it, and then apply the right digital tool or the technology, which is then invaluable to meeting that strategic objective. Really, technology, digital, It's just another tool in our toolbox. So why not use it meaningfully to drive the customer experience forward? Here's a real life story from Amanda about how one rep used technology to connect. Recently, one of our sales reps actually received a lead from HubSpot from a designer she'd worked with closely before that had actually moved across the country. And she didn't realize she'd moved across the country and they had lost touch. So our, our sales rep got this lead and was a bit confused because she knows that the customer lives across the country and is no longer calling on her. But because we had HubSpot in place, she was able to make that connection so much quicker and help her with the project. So that's just a great example of how technology can strengthen relationships, both existing and new ones. So I'm just really excited. I know some people think that um, that level of information can seem a bit creepy, but if somebody's on your website or interacting with you online, That's just being polite to show up, answer the questions and say hello. It just strengthens our relationship with our brand online and in person. Now, if you listen to episode one this season, you heard Anya, one of our guests from CBRE, mention Marco Polo, a video messaging app that Amanda introduced to the hackathon team this year. Many of us have been leveraging it since then, communicating and building relationships virtually and... I may or may not have gotten a video message from one of our season two sponsors with eye cream patches under her eyes because she was so passionate about an idea to share. So how's that for building personal connection? As we close out this episode, I want to share comments from both of our sponsors about what makes each of them optimistic for the future. Here's Amanda. 
Mannington Commercial, we really try to craft everything we do with a purpose besides the design, where it's going to go, knowing our segments for flooring really well so that we can help make sure that you're making good decisions. And our goal is to be the best flooring company to do business with in the industry. So we've been working really hard, especially during this time, looking at all of our internal processes, all the things with the CRM, things we're doing with manufacturing to ensure that we are easy to do business with for our customers. Because flooring is complex, especially when you have so many categories. And we really want to make sure that our customers are successful. And Megan will close us out with more optimism about how the pandemic has created an opportunity to deepen relationships. I think one of the greatest things about this pandemic, and there's so many terrible moments and the inequities and like the pandemic has really um, been very eye-opening. But one of the greatest things I think about the pandemic is the shared experience. And the fact that globally, we have all been impacted to some degree allows us to have the empathy for one another that didn't exist before. So for me, I'm optimistic that we as a society, as a community, now have a shared history that's actually very deep and very impactful to all of us. And from there, we can deepen one another's relationships. We can strengthen the ties that bind for lack of another term. So I do feel like our relationships will be deeper after this or through this than it was previous. I love authenticity, transparency, but what I find really interesting are the conversations happening about the customer experience because we all know it's changed right? So it's like, okay, that blew up. (laughs) So let's explore it. Let's figure out what the new customer experience is. But at the same time, we as leadership have to figure out what the employee experience is because the workforce isn't coming back 100% to a nine to five Monday to Friday. We all know that there's a desire for more flexible work plan. Keel Hauer did an internal survey to our employees and our leadership team and 100% of respondents accepted that uh, or wanted a uh, flexible work plan for their their teams. So the employee experience is going to change, the customer experience is going to change. I think that gives us incredible runway to find the right solutions to work for tomorrow with the empathy on what everyone's going through, which has been rough. We hope you'll join us for next week's episode as we dive into the future of communication, which is one of my favorite episodes of the season. We'll hear from one of the founders of Cactus Design, an innovative design firm exploring their own future of work. And we'll hear from a futurist from Kantar with inspiration about how teams can better communicate with one another and their clients in this new digital world. Special thanks in this episode to Hannah Vitti, our audio intern from last season, now turned producer for all Sandow sister brands and podcasts, including The Mike from NYC by Design and Deep Green from Metropolis. So we hope you tune in to those. And special thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for the music. 